0: About four decades ago, my friends and I had walked to the neighboring community, College Park, to shop. I guess on return trip home, my one buddy was fatigued, and he was out in front of us. And uh, next thing you know, we saw his thumb out. He was hitchhiking. A vehicle began to slow, and my friend yelled, we have a ride. Excited. We all started to run to the car, but then notice something was grossly wrong. The lady in the vehicle had her horn being blown the entire time my friend was trying to get into the car. As it turns out, the driver was simply making a right turn, and my friend misunderstood the, her slowing as being a sign that she was offering us a ride. Needless to say, uh, afraid of being arrested for attempted carjacking, uh, we started to run and we ran all the way home at a frantic pace. It turns out my friend misunderstood the driver's intent when she had slowed down to make a turn. Similarly, the inhabitants of the earth will not accurately comprehend the signs offered by the false prophet. Would you turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 13? And as you're turning to Revelation chapter 13, let me give you a little background here. Beginning in chapter 12, we meet the first member of the unholy trinity. That is Satan. He is being expelled from heaven after having access to the Father to regularly give an account of his activity God says no more and has Michael put him out of heaven. He is kicked out of heaven and he comes down to the earth. He understands that his time is brief. And we see actually that it's for time and times and half a time in chapter 12, verse 14, which means three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation period. So knowing that his time is brief, He's going to pursue the saints and Jewish people. After we see the expulsion of Satan, we are introduced in chapter 13 to a beast rising out of the sea, the area of the Mediterranean, which corresponds to Daniel chapter 7. This is the Antichrist. He is a blasphemer. In chapter 13... Verses 5 and 6, he's blaspheming God and those in heaven with God. The Antichrist suffers a blow, it kills him, and he comes back to life. He is going to be, if you will, the imitation Christ who came back to life. And then we now move to our next member of the unholy trinity. This is going to be the false prophet. So let me go ahead and read to you Revelation 13 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth And those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now before I pray, and we look carefully at the beast helper here, let me ask you this question. How can you personally, how can you avoid being scammed by a spiritual sham? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the book of Revelation. We have learned so much on our journey together. We thank you that 2,000 years ago, by your sovereignty, John was banished to the Isle of Patmos to write this marvelous revelation. Thank you for the unveiling all that we have learned about the churches and now into the tribulation period. I pray that as we look at the third member of the unholy trinity, we would have greater understanding to this world system, the spirit of Antichrist, and then what will literally take place at this point in the future Guide us by your spirit, the Spirit of truth. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. We have uh, two uh, words from the Greek, three in the English here. Then I saw Kai Adon. They are words we've seen in the past and we'll see often in the future. This introduces a new vision we see another beast. Another is alas, another of the same kind. This is the land beast. He is now connected with the former beast, the sea beast, uh, that is the Antichrist. Notice here that his coming is out of the earth. This clearly distinguishes the second beast from the first beast, who. Or what are these beasts? Uh, A.T. Robertson, a Greek scholar of old, has written, It has been a common Protestant interpretation since the Reformation of Luther to see in the first beast pagan Rome and in the second beast papal Rome. May I just point out this interpretation is incorrect because the beasts are clearly people and not nations. I want to draw your attention to something that will be helpful for us in our understanding of the passage the second beast the one that we are studying here beginning in verse 11 is called elsewhere the false now notice the last word prophet the false prophet turn with me to chapter 19 in the book of revelation and let your eyes come down to verse 20. Why am I emphasizing the word prophet? Because this beast is religious in nature. Notice the words again false prophet, 1920. Then the beast was captured, that is the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now as well, over to chapter 20 in the book of Revelation. Again, the identification of the land beast. Chapter 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Then John goes ahead and shows us that they will all be tormented forever and ever and ever. So question as we're coming back to chapter 13 in the book of Revelation. Does the second beast here the land beast or the false prophet create a new religion or does he build upon an old religion? I think that's important to investigate here. So in other words, is he building upon Islam or perhaps Catholicism or do we have a total new religion here? We want to look at both an Old Testament and then a New Testament passage to explain this. Uh, Begin with me, please. Book of Daniel... Book of Daniel, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 36 and 37, speaking about a king. Now, the king in the previous verse, this is Daniel 11, verse 35, is working, uh, if you will, at the time of the end. So the king that is being introduced here is at that end time period. He is? the Antichrist. Let me explain as we look through these verses. Daniel eleven thirty six and then 37. See, notice the word then. See, when? At the end time. The king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above, get the word here, above every god, shall speak blasphemies. We saw that in Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 of Revelation against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Now, verse 37 He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Now, some people see the capital G there for the word God. And they say, oh, the Antichrist must be Jewish because he comes from the tradition of the Jews. But may I point out to you here, the word God here is plural. And a better translation would be God. So he shall regard neither the gods of his fathers nor the desire of women. Uh, You can take this in one of two ways. He's either a homosexual. And that's a possibility. Or he is so focused on his dastardly mission that he doesn't give any time to women. Notice it goes on to say, Nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all. So what do we see here? The Antichrist will not piggyback upon another religion but basically, start his own. We have corroborating information over in the book of 2 Thessalonians. So now turn with me there, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a passage we've touched on in the past, but let's just look at the background here to the Antichrist once again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, pick it up with me, please. In verse one, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, this referring to the rapture, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. See, there was a, a false correspondence that was sent to this church. Whether it was written or whether it was a prophecy, it's, it's hard to say but one thing we know, it tricked these believers and they thought they had missed the rapture. See, because it says here at the end of verse two, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin, this is the Antichrist, is revealed. He's also called the son of perdition. He's the son who belongs to the category of destruction or perdition. But notice now in verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So both from the Old Testament and now from the New, we see that the Antichrist is not building upon a former religion, but claiming that he himself is God, and now you need to worship him. Turn back with me, please. Revelation chapter 13. Now, observe in verse 11 and ask the question here, what is missing? What is missing in the description? Because continuing here on the false prophet, it says, and he had two horns like a lamb. Well, when we look back at the former beast, the sea beast, he had crowns, kingly crowns. He had political power. The second beast here is religious in nature and does not have crowns or diadems. Also, you'll note that he has two horns like a lamb. Horns, speaking of power, but how many horns were attributed to the sea? The Antichrist, 10. This individual, the false prophet, only has two horns. He's less powerful. And I'd like you to understand that in ancient times, people considered a sea creature or something that emerges out of the sea as greater than a land creature. And it's interesting that here, the false prophet is less powerful. Powerful. Not only this, he spoke like a dragon. How does a dragon speak? The word here, spoke, is in the imperfect tense, continuous action in past time. This is how he always speaks. And I like to present, since it's talking about like a dragon, that he has deceptive speech, because that is one of the characteristics of Satan, the Dragon. Let me show this uh, to you, uh, if you will, looking at his speaking. Back to chapter 12. Look at verse 9. We have a number of descriptions of Satan. Verse 9 of chapter 12 of Revelation. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. Notice here, another title. Who deceives the whole world. What is Satan? He's a deceiver. How does the false prophet speak? Like a dragon. He is deceptive with his words. Also, chapter 19, still in the book of Revelation, over to verse 20. 1920. Then the beast was captured... And with him, the false prophet who works signs in his presence, by which he, notice this, deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. want you to understand that when the text says that the false prophet speaks like a dragon, he is a deceiver. Furthermore, verse 12 of chapter 13, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. This is a satanic imitation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Turn with me to John's Gospel. John chapter 15. Just want to briefly look at two passages. And you have to think about the Trinity. You have one God, three persons. The Father often in Scripture is recognized as the creator, the son as the savior of the world that the father, what, dispatched. He sent the son. But then, now we have the son and what is he going to do? He's going to send the spirit. But what is the spirit's ministry? 1526. But when the helper comes, named for the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send, see, dispatched to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify of me. You got it? As the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, the false prophet directs individuals to the Antichrist. Uh, we won't look at the reference, but over in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 13, again, the emphasis that when the Spirit comes, He's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of uh, judgment. And the ministry of the Spirit will be to have the gospel preached and point people to Jesus. This is the imitation of the false prophet who was pointing people to the Antichrist. Because you'll notice in verse 12, back in chapter 13 of Revelation, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. The supernatural powers of the false prophet will lend support to the claims of the first beast that he is God. Because notice it goes on to say, whose deadly wound was healed. The Greek lily says, whose wound of death was healed. In Acts chapter 17, we are told that God has called the world into judgment and that virtually we know from John 5, that the son will be the one who judges the world. But how do we know that God will judge the world? We're told in Acts 17, 30 and 31 that we know that God will judge the world because he raised the judge, his own son, from the dead. So now we have the false prophet pointing everyone to the Antichrist and saying, he's God. How does everybody know he's God? He was wounded, he died, but he came back to life. And now in 1313, speaking of the false prophet, he performs great signs. Uh, this should not surprise us This is exactly what Jesus himself predicted. Turn with me back to a familiar passage, Matthew 24. We call this the Olivet Discourse. Why? Because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives as he's given this teaching. And we saw earlier as we studied Revelation 6 with the beginning of the tribulation period that Matthew 24 corresponds perfectly with the commencement of the tribulation. Now notice here in Matthew 24, 24. Jesus predicts for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great what? Signs and wonders. What is it that the false prophet is doing? Signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And then Jesus says, see, I have told you beforehand. So, The false prophet performs great signs, but here is the purpose in 1313 of Revelation, so that, see the translation shows purpose, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He is now duplicating the feet of the two witnesses of Revelation 11. Remember when people were to attack them, they called down fire from heaven, And killed the people. Imitating the ministry of Elijah, by the way, back in 1 Kings 18.38 and 2 Kings chapter 1. So now, now we have the imitation taking place. And in 13.14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, or the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Notice the direction once again. We are now introduced here to the abomination of desolation. Telling those who dwell on the earth to what? Make an image to the beast, perhaps looking like The Antichrist, Uh, the Old Testament predicted this as well as the New. So we have to go back to the book of Daniel. Daniel, and begin with me please in Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter nine to the famous 70 weeks of Daniel prophecy and down to verse 27. Speaking of the Antichrist, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, period of seven years, corresponding to Revelation 6 through 19 with the tribulation. But in the middle of the week, notice the timing, halfway through the tribulation, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, notice the expression here, and on the wing of abominations, this is a reference to the abomination of desolation, the idol that will be created shall be one who makes desolate. So this is Daniel chapter nine. Now we need to move forward to Daniel chapter twelve. Daniel chapter twelve down in verse eleven. Twelve eleven. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be one thousand two hundred and 90 days. Fascinating. And now to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, coming down to verse 15. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Therefore, says Jesus, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, remember back in chapter 9 and in chapter 12, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And what are the Jews to do? They are to run at that point and to flee. Now let's learn a little bit more about the abomination of desolation in Revelation chapter 13. Notice now in verse 15, chapter 13, verse 15. The image comes to life. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. This is a supernatural act that is performed by the false prophet. Imagine that. It goes on to say that the image of the beast Right? The abomination of the desolation should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Perhaps you're thinking the parallel back in Daniel chapter 3. I just read that chapter this morning for my devotion, by the way. That you had Nebuchadnezzar who sets up this large idol and has the people bow down. And we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not. But now think about this going a step further. The abomination of desolation comes to life. It actually speaks and gives directives. What? To go and to kill the saints. How dastardly is that? And by the way, as we will transition, Lord willing, to Revelation chapter 14 next week in verses one through five, remember the 144,000 witnesses from Revelation chapter seven? We will find them. In the presence of the Lord. Why? Because they will have been martyred. That's at the directive. At the direction given by. The abomination of desolation. That comes to life. It gets worse. Notice in verse 16. And he causes all. Both small and great. Rich and poor. Notice the breadth of the categories here. Free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Again, an imitation. What do we learn about the 144,000 witnesses in Revelation 7, 3, and 4? They are sealed. God's mark of ownership was placed upon those ambassadors for Christ as they are being sent out to preach the gospel. We have something similar taken place here, but in a dastardly form second timothy 219 speaking about you and me child of god nevertheless the solid foundation of god stands having this seal here the word seal the lord knows those that are his see the seal shows his ownership upon us and let everyone who names the name of the lord depart from iniquity Continuing in verse 17. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark. Notice it says, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. This can get a little confusing, but let me just explain to you. Find the first or in the passage, there are three of them. That no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark. And notice the second or. And I want to point out to you the second or is not in the majority of Greek manuscripts. So, if that word is not original, you would put a comma after the word mark. So, in other words, when it's talking about the mark and then comma, the name of the beast, it's one and the same thing. I believe that's what's being taught here. Charles Ryrie says, and I like his quote, it's it's helpful. Verse 17 indicates that it will be either the name of the beast or his number. And as John starts to bring this section of scripture to a close in verse 18, here is wisdom. Sophia is the word. It, it has the the concept of an individual having the skill set to understand the problem or what is being presented. So here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. In other words, do the math. The word calculate here uh, can refer to a small stone or pebble uh, that was used by the Greeks and the Egyptians in their calculations. So let's, let's do the math because he says, for it is the number of a man. This number will somehow identify the Antichrist. But please notice this, in the tribulation, I know there's a lot of speculation right now. Who is the Antichrist? And the ideas have been floating around for a couple thousand years. One thing I know, that when people get saved in the tribulation period, they will be able then to identify the man of sin by what is said here. For it is the number of a man, and then very specifically, his number is, get this everyone, 666. Again, I don't believe there will be an identification made to this part of the tribulation, the second half. Let's go back to our original question. How can you avoid being scammed by a spiritual sham? Put simply, how can you keep from being deceived by false prophets, teachers, apostles, etc.? Here is the main point for today's message know God's word to detect a counterfeit. Know God's word to detect a counterfeit. Isn't that exactly what we have going on here in Revelation 13? John is given a vision explaining the nature of the false prophet, the land beast, showing How he is pointing people to the Antichrist and how we could then identify the Antichrist at that point in the tribulation period. But you've got to know God's word to make the identification. That's what we need to know. And in closing, I'd like you to turn back with me to the same author's book, but a different book, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. You see, we've had the spirit of Antichrist for 2,000 years. That's what we learned back in John chapter 2 in verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, see the Antichrist proper is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour or the last period of time. So over here in chapter 4, The apostle is trying to teach the children of God how to be discerning, how not to be manipulated. So listen carefully, beloved. And that's the first word given in our text here in chapter four, verse one. Do not believe every spirit. And you gotta pause and go, okay. What do you mean a spirit? Spirits can't be seen. No, But when you listen to the message that is given by the teacher, by the prophet or by the apostle and you evaluate that message, that's how you can tell the spirit behind the messenger. See, and you have the contrast here. So don't don't be gullible. Don't believe everyone who says that they speak for God. The adversative but is given here. It's a contrast. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How true is that even today? The key question is always, who is Jesus Christ? And you've got to pin people down who are preaching some kind of message. How do you view Jesus Christ? That's what John does throughout this epistle. Those who believe that Jesus had come in the flesh... They had the message right, but let's continue here in verse two. By this you know the spirit of God. This is the spirit of God, how he ministers. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come into flesh is of God. And I love John's choice, a verb. It's a perfect tense verb, has come. Christ has come. The idea is that he's come in the past. In the flesh, but he's still in that form. How true? In First Timothy chapter two and verse five, there's one mediator between God and men. Who is the mediator? The man. You got it? The man. Christ Jesus. He's fully God. Yes, but he's also fully man. So John is instructing the saints. That if someone preaches otherwise, that's a false prophet, a false teacher, a false apostle, and has another spirit, a different spirit. Verse three, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come, see the words has come, again, identical to the verb form in verse two, has come in the past, And remains in that form. That Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which you have heard was coming. And is now already in the world. You see the little Antichrist you're leading up to. The Antichrist. But this spirit has been around for 2,000 years. Now the emphatic you here in verse 4. You are of God. See, John is writing to the believers, reminding them who they are. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, see that's the spirit of God, is Christ in you to hope of glory, is greater than he who is in the world. Another emphatic pronoun they are of the world see those false teachers and prophets they're of the world the world system described in chapter 2 15 through 17 is the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and pride of life that's what they're all about they are of the world therefore they speak of the world and the world hears them See, we get it wrong sometimes. We think the large numbers indicates God is there. Well, if that's the case, then Jesus was a failure. He started out with large multitudes of people. But when you turn to John 6, and he said, unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood, in other words, unless you make me your all in all, you have nothing to do with me. And it says in John six sixty six, and many of his disciples. Those who were former learners walked with him no more. You got to care about the content of the message and not the smoke and mirrors that sometimes go around to false teachers, prophets, and apostles. See, they are of the world, verse 5. Therefore, they speak as of the world. God wants you happy. He wants you blessed. He wants life to be easy. Yes, if you will just do this, this, and that, then you will have a happy existence. That wasn't what the scriptures taught about our Lord Jesus Christ and his followers. See, verse six, we, most likely hear a reference to the apostles, emphatically stated, are of God. He who knows God... Hears us. See, because they brought the message of God and they had an inner confirmation through the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that these things that John is writing is true. So, he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. See, they don't want anything to do with the truth. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, Child of God, know God's word to detect a counterfeit. You need to be in the book, and the book needs to be in you. So, when someone gives you a phony bill, so to speak, a bad message that doesn't line up, you can spot that as a counterfeit. Know God's word to detect a counterfeit. Make time for the word of God. Read the scripture regularly. Meditate upon it daily. Memorize it regularly. Be under the hearing of the word of God so that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Be in the word and may the word be in you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We're looking at those end times And we won't even be there, Lord, because the church will have been raptured and I thank you for it. But Lord, there's always been a message of deception. This is nothing new. Moses taught the people in Deuteronomy 18 how to spot a false messenger. Father, and we have also in the New Testament guidance how to know the lie from the truth. I thank you for this. So help us to know your word that we can be a discerning people, Lord, and not be duped by the spiritual shams of this world. Lord, help us to be committed to the word of God in our study and application of it, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.